0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDSE. Hello,
1: everybody, and welcome to what is now episode 75 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Brian. Today, I have another outstanding guest for my friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicists and Company. Um, they really have a knack for finding me outstanding guests. And I really appreciate everything they've done for me and for this podcast. And Talma Lobel is just another person in a long line of excellence. Um, She's got some great information to share about how our work environments impact us. Now we'll tell you, Talma is joining us from Israel in this uh, conversation uh, there are a little bit of connectivity issues. There's a couple of bleeps that you'll hear in the background from uh, some alarms that we couldn't track down on, on Telma's side. Uh, but don't let those distract you from the message that she is sharing. Uh, it is very important to think about our work environments, especially now during COVID, and how they're impacting us and how they're influencing our productivity and helping us achieve or preventing us from achieving our goals. So Thelma has a lot of research in this area that she shares and her book is very research uh, dense. Uh, And I mean that in a good way. So if you grab a copy of her book and she'll talk about that in the episode, uh, you're also gaining access to a lot of research that she has pulled together. So with that, I'm going to uh, get out of your way here, and I'm going to let you dive into this excellent interview with Talma Lobel about how we operate and how we function in our work environments. Enjoy the discussion. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of the Bird and Command podcast. Today's guest is Talma Lobel. Talma is an internationally recognized psychologist an expert on human behavior, and a former chair at the School of Psychological Sciences at Tel Aviv University, and she's the director of the Adler Center for Child Development and Psychotherapy. She's been a visiting professor at Harvard University and a visiting scholar at Tufts University, the University of California at San Diego, and New York University. Her previous book, Sensation, The New Science of Physical Intelligence, was published in 15 countries. Her new book is Whatever Works, The Small Cues That Make a Surprising Difference in Our Success at Work, and How to Create a Happier Office. Thelma, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm very pleased.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, very happy to, to have somebody on here as, as accomplished as you are and as, as well-traveled. And uh, with that, I'm, I'm very interested to hear your answer to... Uh, You know, the question I start everybody out with is, what does the phrase burden of command mean to you?
0: Well, this is a very interesting question. Uh, When you are a leader and you are responsible for many people and for the success of the organization, when you know that your decisions and your behavior and what you say will affect the life, happiness, health, or success of your employees and the organization, That is a burden, and there are many managers who liked being the leaders, who felt privileged, but when they said also that when they retired, they felt that something came out of of their shoulder, a burden came off their shoulder. A leader has to make decisions. He or she can consult with others, listen to many opinions, but at the end, they are the ones who, who make the decisions. Some decisions are easy but some are very difficult. They can be difficult for various reasons. Um, they can be difficult because they hurt others. For example, the decision to fire people, especially now during the pandemic, when there, there is no choice and some organizations have to make difficult decisions. But it can also be difficult because the person who makes the decisions, the leader is not sure if that was the right decision. And this is a burden. Leaders have to try to do the right thing. Sometimes they are sure they did the right thing. That's easy, but sometimes they're not sure. And this is really a burden. Uh, They're often lonely at the top and are worried. As I said, it is a privilege to be a leader. To be a leader, don't get me wrong. And you can do many great things and influence the life of many people. But it is also sometimes a burden, especially for those who care and are not always sure that they did the right thing. That's what I think about your question.
1: Yeah, no, I like it. It is a very complete and, and thorough answer, and, and you hit all the, uh, I think you hit all the highlights of what some of the previous guests have touched on the the privilege, the responsibility, the 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 stress that comes with it. So, no, I like that answer a lot. So we want to talk a little bit about your book. Uh, whatever works, the small cues that make surprising difference in our success at work, and how to create a happier office. And you come right out of the gate in chapter one with the title, The Office Layout, How Your Office Design Influences Your Productivity and Satisfaction. Now, I would venture a guess, um, if, if things are globally kind of like they are here in America, uh, that... There have been some companies like, say, Google and Microsoft and and Apple who have kind of become a little famous for like open concepts and kind of a more playful environment. But your average office is basically just a bunch of uh, a bunch of cubicles that people occupy for eight hours a day. How does that layout really impact uh, productivity?
0: Well, uh, first of all, I want to say that, you know, I wrote the book uh, before the pandemic. And uh, I finished it. Actually, it came out about a month and a half ago. Uh, it's really new, but I wrote Motor of it be- before that. And things have changed since then because a lot of people work at home now, and there are many takeaways uh, that we'll talk about later that are completely relevant to working uh, at home as well as in the office. But since you are asking about the open space, there are more and more studies that show that uh, people are not uh, that happy. About working in open space, the the, the two things that uh, bother them the most is the noise and lack of privacy, and, and sometimes lack of lack of control. So they cannot control the the air condition or the light, uh, but mainly noise. And from the noise, mainly phone conversations of other people, because uh, there are studies that showed that uh, when you hear half a dialogue. You hear only the person next to you who talks on the phone, and you don't know what the other person answers, that disturbs you more because you hear that that person says, Wow, you don't say, and then you, you're kind of curious what the other person said. So uh people usually pr- prefer uh private offices, but you know, there are all kinds of things uh in the organization that they don't have all the space and all that. So the best thing that is recommended now is a kind of hybrid office where uh, there are private offices in open space when you need uh, uh, to work quietly uh, alone on something, you get a private office. And when you are uh, doing something which you, you can, you don't have to focus so much or you interact with others, then uh, you work in the open space. That's the best solution uh, now in the best model.
1: So, yeah, no, and, and you make a good point there with being in the pandemic and people working uh, more remote. Uh, do, do these same things apply to your your home office? Does, does how you lay out your...
0: A lot of things in the book apply to, to home office. Uh, open space is not one of them because, uh, you know, you work in the office, but I, I'm talking in the, in the book about the influence of light, the influence of window uh and these are all um effective, effective whether you work at home or in the office for example let's take temperature uh what you can ask me what is the best temperature and how uh for working and how a temperature influence all kind of performances so for example the best performance i mean the best temperature for te- performance is between 68 to 72 70 to 72 actually is really the best but within the uh optimal um, range which is between 60 something uh, to 78, try, it's better to be on the cooler side than on the warmer side. Studies showed that when you work uh, in a little bit cooler side, not too cold, as I said, within the optimal uh, range, feel a little bit colder because then you will perform better than if it's a little bit too warm. not very warm, but even too warm, because uh, even if you feel comfortable, there are many studies that show that some of the cognitive tasks were performed worse when the person was a little bit warmer. And even if uh, the people performed it the same as in the cooler, they were more tired, which affected their uh, consequent work. Also, but these, so first of all, feel comfortable, but a little bit cooler. And that goes to home or in the office. The second thing is that people don't know that people conform more in warmer rooms than in colder rooms. So if you want people, if you're negotiating, make the room a little bit warmer, there is a better chance that people will agree with you, conform more to your opinions. Hmm. If you, on the other hand, want a discussion group, everybody says his or her own opinion and when people think you know very carefully and weigh all the options then make the the warm the room a little bit colder so this is for example something about temperature light light also affects us more than people realize first of all it's better to have sunlight it's better than artificial light Uh, people there are many studies show that organizations with offices that lets in more daylight, have higher productivity, workers missed more working days, when in buildings with no daylight. So if you're in the office and you can't control it, you can, but at home, if you can, try to find a room with a the daylight. Uh, there, there was, for example, 50% less absenteeism in the buildings uh, that applied the maximum daylight. Windows are also very important of course for daylight but uh, they are also very important for the view which I'll talk later about uh, the influence of nature which is really really important I would like to talk about it separately so uh, first of all try to do daylight if you can but even if the evening when you don't have a daylight or uh, you don't have a window make a, a the, the room very uh, light the room don't just dim the lights and say to yourself i can see it from the, the screen of the computer i don't need a lot of light no it like make you more more alert energetic less sleepy and you perform better on cognitive tasks if you're tired just turn on the light you'll see how it helps you there are other things that will help you too that i'll talk later but light. one more thing that people probably not aware of is that light influences our self-awareness and self-control. We have better self-control in a highly lighted room. We will not uh, shout at our colleagues we'll, or we'll shout less. We will be uh, less tempted to go and watch another episode in Netflix if we are working from home. We have left more self-control uh, and choose more practical choices in a well-lit room and more hedonic choices when sitting in a darker, dim room. These are all, I, I, I want to say and stress, everything that they say is based on science. Everything is based on studies published in top journals, not necessarily mine, but I really reviewed studies from mainly United States, but from all of the world, published in best journals, and everything that they say uh, came out of a study.
1: Hmm. No, I mean, that's very interesting. Now, I'm curious with these studies, do they they break it down uh, by occupation at all? Like, for instance, I have a lot of friends who are uh, computer programmers. And it it seems like to to the T, everybody I know that is in in computer programming likes to work in a dark, uh, cool environment. Uh, so would, would the same thing apply to them? Is it just kind of a fad that they like to work into in, in the dark, cool environment? Should they light the room up too?
0: Um, I think it right, would definitely not hurt them to, to light their room and they might, uh, they might perform better. Maybe they think because they have to to focus only on the computer, they don't lead the, the light. There, there is one exception, actually and if we talk later about creativity, I thought of mentioning then, uh, sometimes when the room is darker, you have more creative thoughts, which might be applied to your friends that you were talking about now. Uh, that's the only exception. Sometimes when you really want your mind to wander and think about uh, creative different thoughts, then sometimes it's better in actually in a dim room. But when you work on a certain cognitive that you need a focus and analytic thinking, light uh is is better than dark mm-hmm. especially no. especially if you're tired so even if those people like to work in cool which i said it's good but also in a dark room that's fine but if at a certain point they feel that they are tired one of the things they should do is light the room and sit even take a break which is definitely important and i can talk about it later but light the room if you're tired you will feel more energetic and also for other reasons that I say it now, like you have se- better self-control, which is relevant sometimes. It's not relevant in other times. Okay.
1: Is there a, uh, now that we have so many choices with lighting, obviously sunlight is best, but like with uh, compact fluorescent bulbs and LEDs, and then they even have different like soft white and natural light. Is, is there an optimal type of lighting if somebody can't get sunlight? that they should have in their space?
0: The better, the, the one which is more uh, similar to daylight, to sunlight.
1: So you, you mentioned the nature thing earlier, and, and, you know, I knew, uh, cause I've had issues with my eyes pretty much since I was a young child. And ever since then I've had optometrists tell me, Hey, when your eyes get tired, you know, look out the window, focus on something green, it's soothing and helps the eyes relax. Uh, but is there more to it than, than just that when, when having like a nature view or taking a walk?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think especially these days, uh, the coronavirus pandemic has caused a great deal of stress around the world. People are worried about the spread of the disease and its implications getting sick and are worried about their future. Many people lose their jobs or close their business and are not sure when they will find work again. Other people are afraid to be sick or that they will, they might lose their job. Younger people worry about their parents and grandparents and their future and spend much more time at home, which can be stressful. So, uh, and the feeling of lack of control and being powerless, exposure to contradictory messages, all these increase the stress. And even if, we, don't have, we didn't have the pandemic life is often stressful without the coronavirus, uh, the COVID-19. Work is one of the major sources as well as exams and a heavy load of homework for high school and university students. Work is often related uh, to pressure, high demands, and sometimes tense relationship with colleagues and bosses, fears of being fired, performance anxiety, and more. Uh, And there are many ways to reduce stress, including meditation, mindfulness, exercising, yoga, deep breathing, and seeking professional help. All these are important and helpful. But in my book, I want to talk, and I talk about one thing that is relatively easy to do, which is exposure to nature. Which You will be surprised how it reduces stress and increases your performance. Uh, so we all know, as you say, that nature is beautiful and provides us uh, with an aesthetically satisfying experience. But there is another proven benefit based on science, nature actually can reduce stress and anxiety. And there were many studies done. For example, uh, a series of studies was done in Japan. Participants were asked to go to either forest or urban environment, sit there for 15 minutes, to view their surroundings, and then take a walk for 16 minutes. Their blood pressure, heart rate, and cortisol, which is the stress hormone levels, were measured before they came to the chosen environment, after they sit there, and then after they took a walk. The results clearly showed that sitting, viewing, or walking in nature significantly reduced stress more than in those people that sit in urban environments. People who spend time in the forest had a lower pulse rate and blood pressure and lower levels of cortisol compared to people who spend exactly the same time in urban environments. Similar results were found when people spend time in urban environments such as parks, green spaces, not only in remote forests. So you don't have to have a forest or a beach, that's great, but if you don't have around your home or your office, don't worry, a park or a small garden uh, will do the same. But you can ask me what happens if nature, even a small garden, trees, and flowers, or park is not accessible, or you can't get out of the office or home for a walk in the park. An interesting study showed that even viewing photos of nature or taking virtual hike on the internet will reduce stress. Several Mm -hmm. studies also showed that listening to nature sounds, such as birds singing, or sound of water fountain or waves, help to recover from stress. Participants were given, for example, in one study, a stressful task, or shown a stressful video, you know, something that really makes you anxious, and were then divided to groups and asked to listen either to nature sounds or to traffic, to human voices or ambient voice and noises from a quiet background. Stress recovery was faster when participants listened to nature sounds, is shown by their skin conductance uh, level or according to their self-report. Also, there are other studies that uh, show that exposure to nature influence uh, our performance in various cognitive tasks and helps to recover from mental fatigue. Working for an extended period of time causes mental fatigue. You know, we all know that we sit and work and then, ah, oh, I'm so tired and you need to recover your attention, concentration, and performance. Several studies show that people who took a walk in nature after mental fatigue recovered from more quickly than people who took exactly the same uh, time of walk in an urban environment and performed better on cognitive tasks. Similar results were found when people looked at photos of nature. And another thing that I want to stress, sometimes even a very short look at nature is enough. In an interesting study, really interesting, 150 students received a boring task, and in the middle of it, were asked to take a break only for 40 seconds, not many seconds. Mm. Half of the Mm. students viewed a scene featuring a concrete roof, and the other half saw a green flowering roof. And as unbelievable as it sounds, those who viewed the green roof performed significantly better in the second half of the task than those who viewed the concrete roof. So if I want to summarize, uh, studies have established the role of nature in reducing stress and anxiety and in restorative power of uh, our mental fatigue and improving performance. So if you're stressed, or when you work on a task for a while and feel tired, take a break. This is so important. Even if you think that you don't have the time and you are loaded, take a break, even for five minutes if you can take more. If you can take more, take more. If you can go outside and spend some time outdoors, it can be a park, it doesn't have to be a remote forest or an ocean. If you don't feel like walking, uh, you can just sit and enjoy the view, the trees, the flowers, the water, whatever is there. If the virus, for various reasons, as I said, you can't go outside, but you have a view of nature from your window, just stand and look outside for a while. Sometimes even looking at flowers, or trees for a very short time will help. If you are in an urban environment, look at photos or nature or listen to nature sounds. You will be surprised how it will reduce your stress and recharge your batteries. So I really highly recommend doing it. This I give other takeaways, but this is really really important. And I can show many studies there that show how uh, easily and in few minutes, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, even as I said, 40 seconds, but take it's better to take a longer walk but if you don't have the time i'm telling you just stop for half a second half a minute look at something green a photo of, of trees or the photo of a beach and you will see that it will help you complete the task much better
1: yeah no i mean i i like all that and it, and it makes sense because you know it's almost, well, it's not almost, it is essentially human nature. When we feel stressed out, we want to escape to nature. So so we kind of know that these things on an instinctual level, we kind of know that these things help. But in, like you mentioned, in today's environment, not just with the pandemic, but with everybody being busier and, and, and having more on their plates, it's harder. We We have to really carve out that time to be intentional about getting out in nature, it really seems. You said getting up and, and taking a walk or looking on the internet. Um, so, so I like that. Uh, I do have a question because uh, this is one that me and, and some of my colleagues go round and round a lot on. Uh, I see a lot of, you know, the, the stuff about temperature and light and office layout and, and, and the nature piece. What is your stance on taking uh, naps? In the middle of the day? Right. Do you find them, you know, the short 15, 20 minute naps, do you find those as helpful in recharging or?
0: Yeah. There are many studies actually now that show that, that a, a short nap, especially if you work for a long time, uh, for a longer day hours, they will help. Not, not two hours, just, you know, like 15, 20 minutes. Right.
1: I, I had a friend that he taught me a trick and, and, uh, I, I like this. He said, uh, his timer, he doesn't set an alarm or anything like that. He uh, falls asleep with uh, holding on to his car keys. And when he dozes off to a point where his hand relaxes and he drops his car keys when they hit the floor, that's what wakes him up. Okay, so that's the, the basically the first part of the book, Whatever Works at the Office. So uh, just to remind listeners, we're talking to Talma Lobel. Uh, about whatever works, the small cues that make a surprising difference in our success at work, how to create a happier office. Um, so part two, you kind of talk more about interpersonal interactions. You talk about communication and, and how, to, uh, uh, how to talk to one another, but you start off with wordless interactions. Talk about that for a second, please.
0: Uh, Well, there are several things there. Um, I would like to talk, for example, about uh, mirroring, uh, which is a very interesting uh, I think uh, effect that people are not aware of although they do it all the time. I don't know if you notice that a lot of time when you when you are uh, sitting and talking to somebody unconsciously we sometimes mirror and imitate uh, what that person uh what that person is doing i don't know if you uh, if you've noticed that if that person touches his or her hair you touch it too that person uh, uh crosses the legs the other person is doing that too so there are many studies that showed that uh, this enhances the feeling of belonging and connecting uh, of the other person. For example, if I I interview somebody and I see uh, that the other person is mirroring me, not too blandly, but you know, kind of um, slowly, I touch my hair and that person touches his his hair, I cross my leg or I touch my face and that person does the same, study showed that without noticing, I find that person, um, I like that person more. I feel uh, connected to that person more. And there were studies showed, for example, that those who mirrored others were uh, more uh, willing to help the other person. For example, there was one study that an experimenter uh, imitated uh, the participants. They thought that he, he didn't know that he was told to do so and then uh, as if by accident he dropped some uh, pencils. And those that were imitated helped him more than those who were not imitated. So my suggestion is that uh, when you, uh, if you are aware of that, do it, but don't overdo it, it's very important. Sit and quietly if you are interviewed or if you are uh, negotiating on something or you're, you're talking to your boss and you want promotion or all kind of things, Slowly, uh, from time to time, imitate the other person. If you're in um, in a in, a sell, in if you're you have customers and you want to sell that person something, there are also many studies that show that those the, the persons, who imitated either repeated verbally or uh, without words the other person uh, had more sales than those who did not. So that's and that's might be. Uh, kind of, you know, funny, but it's true.
1: It makes perfectly good sense what you're talking about. If if people are acting the way we do, if people are having the same mannerisms we have, even if they adopt a similar accent when they're speaking to us, they're much more familiar, much more likable, and we're much more likely to to view them favorably. Um, Okay, so you move from nonverbal type of communications to... Expressing emotions, negotiating, and giving gifts. Uh, so how do you how does that work out?
0: Well, I focus mainly of on expressing uh, anger. Okay. Uh, whether we should or shouldn't express anger, and negotiate. You know, we negotiate all the time. Of course, if we are in business, we negotiate whether we want to to sell something or to buy something or. Merging, but also in our private life we negotiate about uh, rent, about the uh, price of houses, cars, etc., etc. We negotiate also with our children. We negotiate all the time. Uh, so uh, one of the things is uh, whether we should express what emotions will do the trick. So of course it's better to have a positive emotions. No, no doubt about that. Uh, study show that if uh, all negotiators, both sides, were expressing positive emotions that went smoothly. But sometimes, uh, eh, so this, just to make clear, displaying positive emotions, conveying friendliness and smiling, is more effective in reaching agreement in negotiation uh, than than you know expressing uh, negative emotion. But eh, I want to. Uh, to stress that sometimes it's very difficult to be to express positive emotions, but sometimes when, uh, for example, what happens when the person uh, you are negotiating with exhibits anger in negotiation. Studies show that emotions displayed by one person elicit either a similar emotion or a complementary emotion in the other person. For example, if one person gets angry, then the other person might get angry too, which is uh, which is kind of the similar emotion but it can it can also uh, have a emotional reciprocity uh, on the other hand emotions may elicit complementary emotions such as anger being responded to with fear so what should I do for example sometimes the other person really makes me angry he uh, I, uh, doesn't answer logically to a very reasonable uh, offer, or he might uh, talk to me not nicely, he might raise his voice or her voice. So there are many reasons that make me angry. Should I express my anger? So as I said, there are two options. Either if I express my anger, the other person will be angry too, which is not good for the negotiations, or it will elicit a fear from that person. What, whether anger elicits a reciprocal or complementary response could decide the fate of the conne- negotiation. If anger is countered by anger from the other side, tensions mount, the temperature rises, and the heat might be too much to allow for a uh, good atmosphere. If, on the other hand, anger arouses fear in the other party, there is a good chance it will lead to concessions. A crucial factor determining whether uh, a show of anger will evoke fear and gain more concessions or whether it draws an angry return of fire is how powerful each of the negotiators. Power in negotiation is based on the availability of alternatives to getting what you want. For example, if a salesperson uh, desperately needs the sale, for lack of other offers or for meeting in a quota, or if somebody's interviewed and he desperately needs that job, he doesn't have any other offers, uh, he's not powerful. That salesperson or that interviewee has a built-in susceptibility to anger and is prone to make concessions. If that salesperson dares to become angry during the negotiation, it will more often The not be met by anger from the other side, who picks up on the salesperson weakness from his body language, verbal nuances and other cues. If on the other hand, a salesperson or an interview trying to sell a product knows that he or she has enough offers from other companies, he or she feels powerful and is virtually immune from angry uh, displays. In such a case, displays of anger will only elicit uh, hostile reactions and high persistence uh, to consistency So, what I'm saying is that if you feel powerful and you uh, you are angry, express your anger. But, and that's a very big but, uh, uh, don't shout, don't lose it. Just express the anger. Say, "I'm angry, and I, I disagree that." That's that's not acceptable, and you can you know. Can Anger can be seen on your face, but also another very important, uh, the target of the anger should be the offer, not the person. Uh, say I'm very angry about that kind of offer. It's not acceptable. But don't say you are, I'm angry at you, I'm angry, this offer is really disappoints me. Uh, this offer makes me really angry, but don't say you are making me angry. So. As I said, uh, uh, in general, if you are angry and you feel powerful, express your anger, but don't lose it, don't shout, and express your anger towards the offer. If you are not powerful and you're in a less powerful position, try not to show your anger, because it will just hurt your uh, chances to come to good concessions. Mm.
1: No, that's, uh, that's, that's good stuff, because like you said, we're... we're almost constantly engaged in some type of negotiation uh, throughout the, f- the course of a day. So, so that's that's very important information. Um, in your book, you move on to talk about uh, ethical and unethical behavior in the office. Now, that seems pretty obvious, but go ahead and, and, and kind of elaborate about how those impact the workplace.
0: Well... As you said, it's, it's quite obvious that uh, you have to be ethical and not uh, unethical. Uh, so, uh, I think uh, I think that's better that people will read that because uh, uh, it has a lot of takeaways that um, you can ask me more. For example, if you are anxious, if you're, you have a lot of anxiety, there is a better chance you will behave in an unethical behavior. Uh, For example, to take credit for someone else's ideas or to call in sick, the more uh, anxious you are, the more stressed you are, the more chances, the higher chance that you will behave unethically. So uh, this is the uh, function of the leaders, the employers, to make sure that their employees take breaks, be happier in all these ways that I talked before about the physical environment, in nature and all that so they will be less stressed and less anxiety uh, anxious and that will affect also their ethical behavior okay give them a break every mission needs an intermission uh encourage them to exercise do all things that you think you'll do also only for the uh, employees but actually you are doing it both for the employees and for the organization because they happier Person a less anxious person, a person who takes breaks, uh, who sits in a lighter room, who has less noise, will definitely behave less ethically. Uh, Of course, there is all these things of organizational culture and all that that I don't want to talk now. uh, But uh, all these help. Also, uh, as I said before, people have less self-control in dim rooms. So. make sure that the rooms are like even if nobody sees you there are many studies that show that they're uh, more uh, they cheating more often in a dim room than in a, a well-lit room also if they didn't sleep enough they're less ethical they're more nervous and they can shout and do all kinds of things so i definitely suggest that uh organizations take care of their employers employees in various ways, and not only
1: for the ethical reason, but also for that. Okay. No, that's good info. Um, So I'm going to kind of combine the the next three here, uh, kind of just for time's sake. But you talk about uh, diversity in the workplace. You talk about how the clothes we wear affect us and our team. And then how our physical attributes shape perceptions of others. Um, so, So can you talk about those a little bit?
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, You know, everybody knows that diversity is is good, whether it's gender, ethnicity, culture, Uh, but uh, people uh, don't realize that it's not only for moral reasons, you know, that it's good to have, uh, definitely it's good and important to to have diversity. But I want to, uh, because we are short of time, I'll, I'll tell you only about one study and I have many. For example, researchers from Texas and California surveyed 177 national banks. They received data on the financial performance of the banks, their racial uh, diversity and the emphasis of, in the bank uh, made on innovation. The findings showed that in banks that emphasize innovation, racial diversity was positively related to performance and more diversity, the better performance. There was one study, for example, the children, just the mere presence uh, of one person from another ethnicity, uh, m- even if that person hardly say the word, influence the performance of the team. So just they compared, you know, two groups of teams, one team that had uh, all uh, homogeneous and one, uh, one team that had one person who was from another ethnicity, and that even, as I said again, the mere presence, even if it didn't say anything, influence uh, their performance. So that's very, very important. And as, as you said, we don't have much time. I hope you will read it in whatever works. People will read it and will see so many more uh, examples. Now, let's talk about smartphones, right? Uh, smartphones are... Uh, we all know that it's important to, dis- uh, to discuss the use of smartphones since the existence and easy access to the internet has changed the way we work. Where we work and how uh, many hours uh, we work, smartphones enable us to be more flexible at our jobs since we can answer and deal with problems at home or even while uh, walking the street. But on the other hand, it makes it very difficult to detach and disconnect from work while not there. Recent studies have conducted and concluded that this has a negative influence on our well-being. So first of all, it, it it really we have to to stop using it all the time. But what I want to uh, show you here is a study that is really amazing. Uh, people were asked to come to a room, and there were three groups. One group was asked to leave all their belongings outside of the room, including their phone. One group and the second group was asked to leave their belongings outside, but bring their phone and put it on the desk. The third group was asked to bring all their belongings inside and to put their phone either in their pocket or in their bags or or purses. Uh, And then they were given a cognitive task. And what happened was that those who had the phone on their desk performed better those who had the phone, uh, uh, performed worse, I'm sorry, and those who had the phones outside the room performed the best, even if they didn't touch the phone. But the researchers said, maybe they were looking for messages and that's why. So they told them to turn off the phone. So now they had the phone on their desk, which was completely turned off, right? And all they had to do is uh, focus on their cognitive task. Still, Those who had the phone on their desk performed worse than the other two groups. Those who had the phone outside the room performed best. So my suggestion, strongly suggest, I strongly suggest that when you work on something important, take the phone and put it in another room for an hour. If you're really anxious to know if you had messages or important phone calls, go after an hour and check. But don't say, okay, I turned it off, it's on my desk even if it's on your desk turned off, it still affects your performance and negatively affects it.
1: Well, no, and that's amazing. As, as we talked about before, being in the, the pandemic era that we are right now and people uh, doing more work from home versus physically going into an office, you know, there's a lot of studies and research going into the effect of that that, that kind of shows that, sure, while we're at home now, We're actually putting in more work. We're more connected than what we usually are in the physical office. So, you know, what you said there is is very, very important uh, because I think people are trying to find that balance, right, between how do I focus and if I don't have my phone sitting right next to me and my boss calls, they're going to think I'm not at work or I'm not doing anything. So they keep it right there and they're looking because they don't want to miss anything and and now we have all the Zoom conference calls and people are hyper aware. You know, that's what I like about this book. I think it's uh, I think it's a really good book for people. And I want to go ahead and echo what you said before. Whatever works, the small cues that make a surprising difference in our success at work and how to create a happier office. Because now being at home, we have a lot more stress uh, on our surroundings, you know, we've we've seen the the video footage of you know people being on on Zoom calls, and then you know the the kid comes running into the room, or they're on a conference call, and their cat comes parading in front of the the camera, or uh, for students, uh, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I know you said you're in Israel right now, so I don't know how much of these things you see news wise. Uh, yeah, like there was just a, a a news story that came out today or yesterday. About a student uh, who had a toy gun like in the background in his room and the teachers ended up calling the police to go check on this kid because I guess they couldn't tell that it was a toy gun or whatever and it ended up being just like a BB gun and, and but so now this kid was charged because of the actions of of the teachers uh, with somehow they got to brandishing a weapon or something like that and so now. Because of, a, because of the pandemic, because of a Zoom call, because of not, quote, being aware of his surroundings, this kid actually had police officers called on him and now has, quote, a criminal record. I'm, I'm sure if he has a halfway decent lawyer, he's going to be able to get this stuff expunged because it sounds just silly to even say out loud. But I guess the point is, is your book right now is a very timely book for people who are at home. Uh, putting spaces together and and thinking about how to conduct themselves virtually. Um, So, with that being said, you you mentioned smartphones, uh, but but what are some other technology-type things that are influencing us on a daily basis right now? Or is that really the big player?
0: Yeah, that's, that's the, big, the big thing. And uh, since we don't have much time, I want to mention that uh, one of the important things I think uh, that I have in the book and whatever works is all kind of tips how to be more creative. And i talking about uh, colors and about doodling and about thinking about something else and about and, and, uh, uh, looking at pictures that are having somebody sitting outside a box, or how a picture with light bulb. Uh, All these are studies, if I had more time, I could explain each one, but it's all in whatever words. What is the best advice, Uh, you know, uh, uh, just doodle, walk around, uh, think about uh, somebody else, not yourself when you have to solve a problem, Um, sit outside a box or look at, pictures sitting outside a box, look at green colors or blue colors, not red. These are all showing that you can enhance your creativity. People think that maybe somebody is either creative or not creative. That's not true. Of course, there are individual differences, but there are many things in the organizations and in your power as a person to enhance your creativity once. And I give all the tips in the book how, and they are all easy. That's, uh, I think what, that's one of the things that are good, if I may say so about my book, that they are all easy things based on science that can be easily be implemented. Science shows us that the keys to more productive, creative and happy working uh, lives are well within our reach. Uh, However, it is up to us to put into practice whatever works for ourselves, for our teams, and uh, uh, for entire organization. And these are all easy things, not the big things, but the easy things like walking in nature, like looking at the green surface, like uh, doodling, uh, like taking breaks at certain hours and all these, uh, about the light and all that, all within our power, easy to implement and really influence our success, our performance, our creativity and reduce stress as you said it's all so important within these days of the pandemic that uh, we're more stressed than usual and many of us work at home so i have all these tips which i of course just touch them in whatever works and um, i think uh, people will i already get many emails and, and phone calls saying, oh, thank you so much, I read your book, and then I did so and so and so, and I felt the difference, I was less anxious, or I performed better, etc., et which that's the reason I wrote this book.
1: Well, and it is it is a great book, and and again, I, I really hope people go out and get the copy of, of Whatever Works, because, you know, they are. They're very small changes, they're, they're things you can do incrementally, and and slowly build out your perfect workspace and set up what works best for you. Uh now now tell me you mentioned there a second ago uh you you've gotten emails and things like that. If if people want to reach out to you, uh what is the best way for my listeners to to get a hold of you?
0: Well, uh my uh they can look at my um at my website, I think that's the best way, then they have my email there, which is or they can look at Tel Aviv University and write my name, Talma Lobel, T-H-A-L-M-A Lobel, L-O-B-E-L Talma Lobel, and my website is talmalobel.com Talmalobel.com then you can see all the information and my interviews, I had many interviews uh, and of course the information about the book, it had great reviews you can look at Amazon and see I had I'm so happy I had only five stars reviews, so I'm very happy. and, uh, and uh, definitely can see my mail. I'm very happy to get mails and I promise to answer.
1: Outstanding. And, and uh, listeners, as usual, I will have um, I will have links to, to those resources uh, on the show notes for this show. Uh, you know Talma uh, we are getting ready to to wrap up here but I always like to give guests uh, kind of one last chance if there's anything that we didn't get to go over and I know that there's a ton in the book and that's why I strongly encourage people to go get it. I, I don't think we could have covered everything if we'd uh, scheduled 12 hours for this there's a lot of good information here I want people to go out and grab a copy of the book and 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 make these changes but is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you would really like to to speak about before we close out?
0: Well, um, not really, because you know I don't have things that I can say in one minute. But what I want to say is that this book is not another self help book, uh, which uh, is similar to the others, like uh, which are very important. There are many very good self help books, but this is different because it doesn't talk about general motivation or something, but it really talks. It doesn't focus more on obvious factors uh, like harnessing motivation, getting organized, which are, as I said, good things, important things, but that's not what this book is about. This book, based on cutting edge science and novel experiments, uh, talks about the things that are less aware of. We are less aware of them. Even if we are aware of them, we don't often think they matter. Factors that are they're all along, virtually under our nose, like the temperature, the light, the clothes that we wear, that we didn't talk actually about, and the smartphone, different, et etc. and the, the colors, but we are less aware of them. And we might have only given it the passing acknowledgement of their effect without digging down, such as clothes and lighting, as I said, they influence our performance, satisfaction, and happiness. And all I said is the experiments show that if you, Pay attention to the environment, pay attention to the little things, know these studies, how all these things influence us. You can use it for your benefit and be a perform better and be a happier person in the office and in general. So that's what I have to say.
1: Uh, I, I love it. And and just, you know, listeners, again, uh, I can't recommend this book enough. Definitely go check it out. But to, to kind of prove what Talma was talking about there, when you get the book. You'll notice that there's a section of notes. It's about 30 pages uh, of notes that are pretty much nothing but uh, information and links to these studies that Talma's that been uh, quoting through here. So she's got the science in the book uh, to, to back up what she's talking about.
0: Yeah, all the references are there, each, each one with the link and with a reference. And as I said, I, you know, I worked with for several years, read really, really, really many, many studies. Yeah.
1: And, and it shows. It's, it's a good read and it's got a lot of good information. Uh, well, Talma, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us today and spending the last, uh, you know, 50 minutes to an hour with us. Uh, I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it, and uh, thanks for, for inviting me again.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, and and listeners, thank you for sticking with us. I really appreciate uh, appreciate your patronage. Uh, you know, if you get a copy of the book and and have any feedback for myself or for Talma, we'll have the the links in the show notes. So you can get that to her. Uh, for me, if you have any comments about the show, if you have any ideas for future guests, uh, anything. Any feedback you have for me, you can reach me at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Keep getting out there and rating and reviewing the show, sharing it with people. Uh, That way, uh, especially with the new uh, Switch to the Anchor platform, we can get those numbers uh, back up where they were uh, before. Uh, that really helps with the algorithms. I mean, uh, I know you probably hear a lot of podcasters say that, but I can tell you it really makes a difference, uh, your reviews and shares, and I really appreciate every single one. Uh, with that, thank you for sticking with us again, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode.